Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Pushkin. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right, enjoy the episode. At first glance, the psych rock band Krungbin may seem hard to pin down. They're a three-piece multiracial band from Houston, Texas. Two of their members always appear in dark black wigs. And the pronunciation of their band name has sent a lot of people straight to Google. Krungbin's music, on the other hand, is easy to understand. It's undeniable. That's so we won't forget from Krungbin's fourth album, Mordecai. The band is made up of Laura Lee on bass, Mark Spear on guitar, and Donald DJ Johnson on drums. Since forming in 2015, Krungbin have taken off on the festival circuit worldwide, which makes sense for a band whose name in Thai means flying engine. In my conversation with Krungbin, You'll hear how their funk-infused surf rock sound is inspired in part by multicultural diffusion. They also talk about how disappointed they were when their spring tour with Tame Impala was canceled, but also how sheltering in place has given them a much-needed break from the road. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's my conversation with Laura Lee, Mark Spear, and DJ of Krungbin. Krungbin. I feel like I just learned how to pronounce I've been listening to you guys <laughs> since 2015, and I think I just now, as actually I was worried I was pronouncing it wrong this entire time right now, but I think I finally got it. 
I mean, at the time, though, it it was a very simple way of naming the band because I was I had a bootleg Rosetta Stone for Ty, and it's like the first in the first five words you learn, and it was fun to say. And we needed a band name stat, and we didn't think we would be where we are now. So <laughs> you can call it whatever you want. No <laughs> one's gonna care, right? I mean. I've been in countless bands. It's like, dude, I'm not going to make it. You know, no big deal. Just call it what you want. Play what you want. <laughs> Although I do feel like we did have the foresight that we didn't want the like <laughs> website to be taken. And since it's a, you know, anglicized way of spelling that Thai word, depending on who's writing it, it might look completely different because the only way to actually write it is to write it in Thai. So what we're writing is the, you know, an anglicized version of that, of that word. It feels like you guys in a way go back to like an old school band, you know, where you would just get in a room and, and because there's not necessarily until the new record lyrics, you would just, I think the listener would think a lot of jamming was happening to hash out the songs. Uh, that was another thing that kind of uh, informed the, you know, the start of the band and what we were going to do is like, I didn't want to have a bunch of drum machines and sequencers and backing tracks and laptops on stage or have to depend on that when we were like perform these tunes. It's like we use the technology to compose and to write, you know, the whole like cut and paste um, and basically sampling ourselves and flipping things like that around. Um, but when it comes down to it, we play it. If we can't play it with three people, then it's not that's not happening. You know, there's some percussion parts and keyboard parts that happen on the records, but it's like that stuff isn't really, you know, crucial. It's like just ear candy. So if we go play these songs live and there's no keyboard part, it's fine. You know, we don't need to hire <laughs> or play to a backing track in order to make this work. You know, we can do it with three people. But you got to give yourself some, some kind of limitation. Otherwise, it's kind of overwhelming, you know, the amount of ideas that you can do. So limit what you do. And it kind of informs what you do, right? Like what you don't do informs what you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think emotionally, it's like the band really started those few years when we met every Tuesday night for dinner. And our bond was certainly solidified during that time. So the three of us were a unit. And, you know, to add another component in there, throws off the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Plus, I mean, how do you arrange, you know, how do you arrange us on stage with four people? You know, we got Deej in the middle. You know, I'm on the left, Lorley's on the right. That's a nice power triangle, you know. But then you had a fourth person. Where are you going to put that person? <laughs> if it was the lead singer, obviously they would be in the front. But we don't have a lead singer. So where do you put that fourth person? Do you put him behind me? Put him behind Lorley? You know? now it's just unbalanced. So if you were going to add anybody, you have to add two. So you have five on stage. So you still have that power, you know, that symmetry happening. That's that's, that's just very important. You know, I, I pay attention to this stuff. <laughs> it doesn't look right. If <laughs> How early did the, did the stagecraft like come in? The wigs and the, and the, and the outfits and just sort of the, the presence on stage. Day one. First show. <laughs> We've always, we've always worn the stuff. We've always tried to have, you know, a look or a vibe on stage, you know, since day one. Yeah. I, that first show was like, to me, I compare it to like a bride getting ready because 
everything was so important to me, you know, the hair and the shoes and the outfit. Um, I probably spent, you know, my cash for weeks uh, on that show because it could have been my only show. But yeah, the wigs were important and nobody knew who we were in Houston. Mark had been in so many bands in Houston. Everyone would have known who he was up there and nobody knew who he was. We were like aliens. Yeah, we want, we wanted to come fresh, you know. Didn't want to have anybody like, oh, this guy's been in this band before, you know. Just leave that out the door. No know? expectation for what they're about to see. And exactly. DJ, while had been super prevalent in the Houston, like, hip-hop scene, hadn't really played the, like, indie band, hipster kind of situation. So we were all relatively unknown in that scene. I remember for a while we were trying to like be kind of rocky, you know, we were started like kind of like adapt some of our tunes to be like louder and like more rock, you know, because the bands we were playing with were like loud, you know, and we were quiet, like, you know, uh, that's part of what makes the KB recording sound like they do is because we're playing so quietly. Uh, but that doesn't really translate well when you're playing in like a dingy, you know, kind of like punk club with like loud bands. So we play to the room now. <laughs> we did then and we still do. I feel like a lot's made of like kind of the world influence with you guys. Were you guys listening to a bunch of world music and thinking we want to also bring in some of these vibes? Or is it just guys listening to everything and things are just creeping in, whether it's a Latin sound or, or Thai? I, I can say this. Like I said, I met Mark in 2004. Mark has always listened to music that wasn't in English. I didn't understand it back then. I grew up listening to music that was in my own language. Uh, I can understand the words, you know, and every now and then there was an instrumental cut. But he had this, you know, entire library on his computer or, you know, in his iTunes that was just stuff that's not in English. I remember, uh, like, maybe early on he played some Thai funk tune, and it felt like James Brown. I'm I'm a huge James Brown guy, like that 60s um, funk sound. And it was, it sounded like that, but you had just a Thai vocalist, you know, singing over the top of it. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. And it, I really started to connect how, you know, things from other parts of the world connected with the music that was happening, you know, in the U.S. at the same time. And, you know, how it was kind of, you know, there was this crosstalk. Yeah. Mark is a huge, huge influence in, you know, what, Krungbin is known to be like a world, you know, music-inspired band. I mean, I would say it started, like, from his music taste. Yeah, I mean, 100%. We also liked, we liked this, like, conversation that was happening between, like, the East and the West, and that that Thai music was influenced by, you know, by James Brown, by the Shadows, by the Beatles, and then they play their version of it. And if we're then inspired by their take, the Eastern take on Western music, then, you know, there's this cool meta kind of thing that's happening. The game of telephone, man. Love that stuff. Cultural diffusion. Absolutely. That's what I love about you guys. If you listen to a lot of music from around the world, like if you listen to African music, you'll find a Cuban song that sounds just like a, like a West African song. And then you'll find out that also, mm -hmm. Fela Kuti was listening to Cuban music. And then so there's always this meta thing happening with all kinds of genres that you don't really think about because you just think about it as being like the blues. But then there's, you know, like 
an African version of blues or like a Thai version of blues. And you guys have a hundred percent just said yeah. like, we're going to be in conversation with all of that at once, you know? Yeah. I want to, want to make that conversation. Like, I mean, Laura Lee, what, what's that style you were like obsessed with for a second? Boleros. Oh, yeah. Still right? am. There's like, it's just these, one of those like Latin rhythms that just gets everywhere. It was like, it's basically the reggaeton of its day, you know? Right. So you get like Mexican boleros, which are probably influenced in a way by Spanish music. And then it makes its way into like South America and the Caribbean. And there's definitely boleros in Africa. Uh, and there's absolutely boleros and a scene for bolero in Vietnam, like in Southeast Asia, probably from um, records brought in from service people back in, you know, the uh, 50s and 60s. Yeah. Right. But I was I was going to try to make a playlist or a mix just of the song Sabor a Mi because there's like one million covers of it. So I was going to try to do a mix just of that song. <laughs> it's a standard. <laughs> yeah. Um, which was my grandma's favorite song. So I'm sure that has something to do with the way I interpret it. But then found this whole Vietnamese pocket of the song wrote Mark thinking that I was going to blow his mind, but obviously Mark you know, already knew. <laughs> <laughs> He's already, he was already plugged in. But dude, like we hear that stuff. Like every time we go to a pho restaurant on yeah. tour, what do you hear? Totally. It, even though we might not make that connection at that moment, we're like, this is, well, this sounds like, this sounds like the shadows with like a kind of a sweet, like Latin kind of beat going on, you know? And that's kind of what it is. Yeah. You know, there's this like, kind of twangy guitar there's like a midi keyboard there's just like person singing and it's got that bolero rhythm underneath it you know and it's it's so cool so cool it's that that's that diffusion man <laughs> we we sort of resented the fact that we got called thai funk because we're not thai and we're definitely not thai funk and the bands that we were listening to that were thai funk they weren't called american funk you know, when they came out, right, it was right. called shadow music because of the shadows. And that's a much cooler way of like, I don't know. I'd be, I love to be a shadow band. Yeah. That's the <laughs> coolest. <laughs> um, and like when you go back and listen to that first record, I mean, yeah, there's, there's some tunes that are obviously influenced by all the time music we were listening to because we, we were definitely listening to a lot of it, but I don't know if I would call Mr. White a Thai funk song. Uh, to me, I I think we just wanted to, we always try to put a song on the record that sounds like Roy Ayers because we love Roy Ayers, you know, little Joe and Mary specifically, I'm trying to sound like, like Franco. Like I want to sound like one of those awesome, really just really pretty guitar, you know, African and like Western and Central African stuff. Like I love that business, man. Balls and pins. That's just like classic psych rock, you know? So it's like, I, I reject the notion of calling us a Thai funk band, I don't think that's fair to us or to Thai funk artists. Right. There's, well, there's more to us than what's going on with that. Like, I, I want to play everything, you know? I want to figure out a way to put it into what we do. We're listening to Mr. White, the Roy Ayers-inspired track from Krungbin's debut album, The Universe Smiles Upon You. We'll be back with the band after a break. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, 
Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segee, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Before we jump back into my interview with Krungbin, let's hear a bit of the song First Class from their latest release, Mordecai. Speaking of the Roy Ayers vibe, the first track on this new album, First Class, kind of captured that feeling to me a lot. That's absolutely intentional, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I want to, I want to play, it's, it's so intentional. Like, um, I wanted to play big Roy Ayers chords, you know, yeah. on guitar. That was the, that was the whole thing. There's a production thing about Roy Ayers too, and I don't, I'm not savvy enough to understand it, but there's a certain sound to his recordings too that I feel like, a certain like space involved or something that you guys have figured out. And I feel like it's kind of pretty present in, at least in this new one. So when we do, when we do vocals, we all sing together at the same time, mm-hmm. you know? And I really like that about Roy Ayers stuff. It sounds like he's got everybody in the band kind of singing at the same time. Um, not unlike you know, Santana from back in the 60s and 70s where the whole band sing at the same time in unison, like no one's trying to do any crazy harmonies. And it's just like, this is the melody. We're all going to sing it together. Uh, War does that too. Yeah. I was like, I want to do that so that when we sing together, it sounds big and full, but none of us want to be lead singers, you know? And if we got a lead singer, well, then it would pretty much be about the lead singer, not about the band. We just wanted to be about the music. So that's why we started doing it that way. 
And to me, psychoacoustically, if you hear a bunch of people singing a melody, you're going to want to also sing this melody with this bunch of people. It's like, hey, let's all sing this together. Um, and that was that's absolutely intentional. Is that kind of like um, that way of bringing everyone into it? I hadn't considered that, but you're 100 right. It makes it one automatically just a more communal vibe. Like the, like we're you know like you guys are one unit, one, and it makes it like a sing along. So it also makes like the person listening feel like they're involved. Like you want to automatically exactly. jump in. Yep. Even if it's just do 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 na 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 whatever. Right. What made you guys on the new record decide? to throw more, I mean, there's been some vocals on previous records, but there's definitely more on this one. Was there the thought that it might be fun to stretch out and do some more of that? Or did it just happen naturally while writing? Yeah, it happened naturally. I think it's a natural progression. I mean, when I think there was a big deal made out, out of it when we did a lot of the press stuff this time around, um, as if we never had vocals on one of our records before, which we have since right. album one. Um, but yeah, it just it just so happened as it was a path that we went down. Normally we record everything in the barn and once that part of the procedure is done, we go back into the studio and you see what you have. And sometimes you go back and songs sound complete and they're finished and they don't need anything mm-hmm. outside of uh some, you know, light vocals for texture or, you know, percussion or we'll bring in, you know, one of our friends to come and play on something. Um, but this time around, um, things needed vocals. And thankfully, Laura Lee had some, you know, some stuff scribbled down and some ideas to pull from. And I personally think it came together beautifully. Was Laura, was the scribbled stuff, was that with a thought for using it for a song or was it just? No. Just it a was scribble? P- purely word vomit, journal style, you know, writing. But I did feel a burst of energy right before we went into the studio um, when I wrote all this stuff and felt like I had lived a life of adventures and stories and they were worth writing down. So I did. Uh, So I tried and it worked. Um, (laughs) No, I I, I mean, (laughs) I think, um, you know, Mark sort of hinted at it earlier, but one of the things with this record was that we went into the studio with time booked and, you know, paying our engineer and time studio stuff. Um, But it was in between touring, heavy touring, and we didn't have any time prior to going into the barn to write. So we literally went in with nothing and it was hard. It's hard to just switch off tour and switch into writing mode. You know, I know... Like I've been starting to write this week and I have to give myself minimum four hours because it's going to take potentially two hours just to get in the zone. So, you know, minimum Mm. four hours. And this was like two weeks record an album with nothing written. And Steve, our engineer always says you finish an album because you run out of time or you run out of money. And, (laughs) uh, you know, we ran out and we made an album, but we spent, the majority of our time on the record in in post. And so the words and the lyrics were something we could do in post, whereas the bass, guitar, and drums, we record in the barn, and that's part of Krungbin ethos. So we had to stick to those rules that we gave ourselves. So the things we could add, 
you know, one of them was words. And that's part of how that development happened on this particular round. But we love it. And, and you know, like DJ, DJ was mentioning that it's been such a, a point of chat during the, the interviews we've had. And it's so hilarious when you think about it. It's like you're talking about lyrics. Most of the time yeah. they're in songs. It's like, <laughs> right. it, it's like the, big, the big deal is that Krungvin put words on a song. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just funny that like the big Krungvin reveal is like, you know, time. If you had more time, you know. I loved the uh, time you and me too, man. Such a cool disco vibe on that, or you know, like kind of like boogie vibe on it. Oh, thank you. That comes, I think, from us, you know, being on the road for so long, and like we would take, you know, what, whatever break we could. And one of our favorite spots to go to um, is a festival in Croatia called Love International, and it's basically just like a DJ fest, you know. But the kind of music that's being played at least at the you know parties that we would be going to is like very kind of disco post disco boogie extended break kind of like john morales larry levan kind of vibe it was like oh dude man i really want to i'm sitting here like at barbarella at like 5 a.m in the morning man i would like really would love to have a song on the next record that like has like an extended disco break that'd be awesome and that, so that's, that's what we did. <laughs> really wanted to have that going on. And um, at some point during the recording of the vocals of that, we were like, dude, why don't we just like put That's Life in as many different languages as, as we can during this like breakdown. Um, and so we started calling up all of our friends um, from all over the world and like try to get, you know, how, how, can we, how can we say this in the right way? Yeah. We knew that there must be an equivalent of the expression that's life in most that's languages. Life. You know, we knew c'est la vie. And we figured if we knew that's life and c'est la vie, that there must be more. And, you know, we put out text messages, you know, called everyone we knew that spoke different languages. And we're like, is there a that's life? And sure enough, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> And the lyrics are really cool and it's super percussive, like you were saying, Laura. Like, I mean, every I love that it's short, short sentences. It's not like there's not like clauses hanging on from one meter to the next. It's just super it's just such a tight song and really cool. Yeah. I mean, that the lyric writing for that song was very much like an exercise in when in doubt, subtract. Yeah. So the lyrics got simpler and simpler as you know, time went on. I think the lyrics of that song end up, ended up being prophetic. I, I mean, as soon as we went into quarantine, like I was, you know, going back, listen to, listening to the, the lyrics and I'm like, this is exactly what everyone's doing right now. Everyone has all this time and everyone's mm -hmm. timing like children time and, you know, just living life. That's time you and I from Krungbin's new album. We'll be back with DJ Laura and Mark after this break. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. 
Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segee, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Here's the rest of my conversation with Krungbin. You guys have really made a name for yourselves as like a crazy good live band. And I can attest, you guys are really great live. I mean, everyone is in this space at the moment, but I think it might be nice for people to hear from a band like you guys who do tour so consistently. Um, what it's like not being able to tour right now, you know? Um, for us, it came at a good time, honestly, because we'd been hitting it hard really really hard for the last four years and we just finished the the record and we were due to go right back out on the road in april we were uh supporting tame impala on his run in australia and new zealand so yeah that was like the first thing that got canceled uh, when everything happened i think the thing that i miss most is outside of connecting with you know people and our fans is just hanging out with my friends on the road that's the thing that you you really realize you miss the most because we spent the last four years just hanging out together. I miss that. Yeah. 
I never thought I'd long for a backstage sofa, but uh, I yeah. do, you know, yeah. some wasas and avocados yeah. and uh, some, some cocoa I mean, water. I have that here, but it's different. Yeah. Something different about drinking a tequila soda that's just been sitting on top of the amp for the past 30 <laughs> minutes. You know, it's like that's something real nostalgic about that. <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to just be where I am um, and not yearn too much because it can be a slippery slope when you get into that headspace. But I think it's helpful that we're not on the road whilst everyone is not on the road. Um, you know, if, yeah. if other people were touring and we were sitting at home, I, I don't think it would last very long. Um, as much as I, you know, specifically, but everyone I think needed a break from the road, uh, festivals were happening right now. Uh, you know, it would be rough. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Right. But yeah, I, I've gone back recently and watched some Krungbin live performances and it's like, wow, um, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to feel on a regular basis that we're not feeling, you know, and, and it's great because yeah. we're feeling other things, but what a rush, you know? Were you getting awesome. the feeling watching the video? Oh, yeah. I mean, big. I'm an emotional mess most of the time, but that was uh, it was pretty intense watching it. And it's awesome. It's like, look what we did. You know, so cool. <laughs> yeah, we made something and <laughs> we crafted it and um, so proud of it. It's our yeah. awesome, awesome project. Awesome. Everything. Um, it's given me so much life and even for right now, it just being the record and it just being shows that happened before it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Does it, does it feel weird or bad or any particular way to have just released a record, um, and not be able to sort of go play it for people or, or promote it in the traditional sort of way by going to play and this is awesome. I love uh, being able to chill at my house with my gal and, you know, like make Italian food every night and do yoga in the morning and go on hikes and not have to like sound check and then go to a hotel for like a cat nap and then go back. And then, you know, I, mean, I love touring, man. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But dude, this is tight. <laughs> and uh, we don't have to support the record right now. We can actually give, you know, the audience time to like, digest it so when we do come out they actually know the music like that's way better yeah this is awesome yeah i mean it was something i definitely said a lot was you know what the last record we put out when we were kind of already on tour but then we put it out and, and you're supposed to quote unquote play songs from the new record but nobody knows them yet and you know, some of them, like Maria Tambien, it's just, it's a banger. So it's going to be fun, even if you don't know it. But other songs, you kind of need to let simmer for a while before you play them. So it will be fun coming back whenever that is. But also, I kind of needed more time to practice singing and playing those bass lines at the same time. So Thank you, Todd. Did you were you considering when you were laying the tracks down? You're thinking, well, we might add words over this, or I don't know, maybe you decided that in post or or whatnot. Were you considering what bass lines you were playing so that you could think, like, can I 
can I pull this off? You know, because it's that's a lot. It's a lot to. Mark's uh, smiling at me on Zoom because every time this happens in the studio, I'm like, you know what? It's for the record. Let's worry about the record sounding good. And when it's time to play live, well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and he's like, it's going to be hard for you. It's, you know, it's going to be hard. We should think about this. And and me too. And I'm trying to make my job easy. Like, why do you think I got rid of all those pedals and all those like laptop stuff? It's like, no, keep it simple, easy. If they're making some music. But, you know, it, <laughs> when you're in the studio, it's about the integrity of the record. And I That's knew that even if it was hard, it's just practice. Like, it is just practice and you can make it happen. It might be painful and long, but with enough practice, you can tap your head and rub your stomach at varying speeds at the same time. It's true. Are you getting it under your fingers more now? You know... I've, I've, I took a break from playing period when quarantine hit because I honestly, I assumed life would go back more quickly than it has, but I was kind of like, this might be the first and only time in a long time that I do not have to play and I'm just going to take a break and cook and, you know, do some other things. But I started playing again and I definitely haven't been playing Krungbin songs in a way, it just doesn't feel like the right time yet. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's definitely like emotionally related, but it's like I know I, I don't know when I'm going to be playing those songs uh, professionally and with my band. And so there's something a little bit like bittersweet about playing them on my own right now. So I kind of feel like if I just play, that at least I will have some things in my fingers. Yeah. And uh, when it's time to really grind and rehearse, then it'll be that time. And you guys are, Laura, you kind of hinted at it earlier that you're, you're writing stuff now. Are you guys trying to write stuff just for fun or are you guys actually trying to write something to write something? Well, per like reflection of, you know, this album and how, you know, there's always room for improvement, even if you make something you're super proud of. But the one place we didn't have time on the record was was pre-production. And right now we kind of have nothing but time for pre-production. It doesn't necessarily mean we will be as productive as we are without it. But since we have this time, um, in theory, it would be nice to begin to write some stuff so that when we go into the studio next time, we actually have songs. Earlier, we were talking about how it's like kind of not fair for you guys to call yourselves a Thai funk group or something, which you don't. Do you guys ever worry about any sort of cultural appropriation criticism or just feeling like you're dipping too far into this thing or pulling too much from this particular thing and that it's going to come across as insensitive? But we're not trying to be anything we're not. It's like, we are who we are. We are from Houston. And we're representing what we know. I think a lot of it goes back to the thing I always used to hear, like coming up in church, is that God looks at the heart. God knows your heart. And I think the thing that people can hear, even when you hear a Krungbin song or a Krungbin record, you can hear the heart of the people that are playing the music through the music. And I think the people that really support us, the people that know us, you know, the people that love Krungbin, they love the music, but 
you can't love the music without loving, you know, the heart of what it's coming from and the place it's coming from. So, I mean, the people that know us, they know our intentions and they know we don't have any ill intentions or we're trying to be something that we're not. You know, we've been saying it and it doesn't really matter how many times you say it. We've said it a ton of times, but I mean, that stuff still comes up every now and then. But the one thing that we used to get all the time is like, how did you guys meet? Because no one could really understand how three people that don't look like each other can end up in the same band making music together. And the one thing we'd always tell them is like, you know, this happens all the time in Houston. Houston is, you know, it's a multicultural city. We all have friends from other cultures and other races, you know, here. And it's a common, it's a common thing, you know, things blend. For anyone that's never been to Houston and, you know, maybe you've been to LA, it's just so much. I really got the feel of LA when I was in Houston, where it's just like, there's so much going on here culturally, you know, it's so diverse and almost less segregated than LA. It feels like in a way, just from, you know, having been there a few times, like it feels like everyone's just sort of mixed on top of each other a bit more. Bro, we all hang out. We hang out here. Like everybody hangs out with everybody here. Yeah, that's how we get down. I love my band. I love Mark and DJ. Feel very, very lucky to have found them in my life and uh, for them to have agreed to be in my band. It's it's Ultimately, this music's meant to bring people together, not to you know pull people apart. It's not meant to be divisive. You guys were so there's kind of this dual sort of thing happening in your band where you're sort of equal parts ambitious and sort of equal parts sort of let things happen as they happen. There's no part of you guys that feels a little insecure right now, not being able to tour, not being able to maybe do just in terms of keeping any momentum going. Or I feel like we're not supposed to be here anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, if it all ended today and the momentum all died. We had a great time. I mean, like, we're the band that did everything wrong, literally. I mean, we picked a name that no one could pronounce. We recorded in a barn, didn't use a click track. One of them doesn't. Didn't have words. Yeah, we don't have words. One of the member doesn't wear a wig. It's like we did it all wrong. And uh, <laughs> and somehow, um, you know, people heard what we were doing and they gravitated to it. And we're extremely grateful for it. And I'm of the mindset that everything happens for a reason and there's always a plan um, and you just have to follow it and walk in it. And uh, I think that's the biggest lesson that everyone learned in 2020 so far, halfway through it. You know, you all realize that we're not in control. Cool. Well, thanks for doing this, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thanks to Laura, Mark, and DJ from Krungbin for getting together to talk shop with me. Hopefully they'll be back together on stage soon. You can hear all of our favorite Krungbin songs on our playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast. There you can find extended cuts of our past episodes and also new ones. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and is executive produced by Mila Bell. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. And if you like Broken Record, please remember to share, rate, and review our show on your podcast app. I'm Justin Richmond. Peace.
Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.